everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to episode 22 of Chris's on Infinite Earths, here at the Chris and Reggie channel. You can find this program most Wednesdays on chrisandreggie.com, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and uh, a lot of other places, probably. Um, seeing as though this is the last day of July, I was uh, considering trying to squeeze in a Christmas in July episode. Uh, over on the site, I did a week's worth of Christmas stories, interrupting the uh, the normal flow for now of uh, Action Comics Weekly slash Action Comics Daily. Uh, and you know, I think uh, I think that did me for the <laughs> for the summer. Uh, I don't think I need to do another Christmas uh, deal just yet. Uh, I no, don't get me wrong. I I do love Christmas all year long, but uh, it's like 115 degrees outside. I, I just can't get into the mood right now. But you know, all is not lost because we will be celebrating yet another holiday. Some would argue that it's just as big, if not bigger, than Christmas. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Vartox Week. But first, let's hop over to a Cosmic Treadmill classic. Actually, this is a little bit of a misnomer there, because we're going back to an episode of Weird Comics History. Uh, the third episode of Weird Comics History from way back in the late spring, early summer of 2016. Um, this was part of our initial uh, launch of Weird Comics History, where we did a five-part feature on the creation and the evolution of uh, the Comics Code Authority. And the clip I'm going to share with you today comes from the uh, part of, the, I think it was day two of the Kefauver hearings uh, on uh, juvenile delinquency. And it's going to uh, shed a little bit of light on the internal code that uh, DC Comics tried to implement, uh, which, you know, all those fine senators uh, didn't find to be as uh, quite as comprehensive <laughs> as they would have wanted it to be. So I'm going to send it over right now. Back, back to the to past. past. These guys, uh, you know, they packed the lunch, came back for day two. But, uh, <laughs> it was the very next day, Thursday, April twenty second, nineteen fifty four, and uh, first fellow to get on the uh, get on the stand is a fellow by the name of Gunner Dipwad. <laughs> That's the only way we can say it. Who had a real axe to grind with the kids in, all, in, in his elementary school, I'm sure. <laughs> he still got the locker mark on his back, yeah. Uh, now, he, uh, he, he, he overcame his inferiority and became the executive director of Child Study for the Association of America. Um, now, he gets grilled, too. Uh, because the the place he works for, they have folks who consult for uh, for DC Comics and also Fawcett Comics, mm -hmm. and this is when we get our first look at the DC Comics internal comic code, which is Exhibit Twenty One uh, uh, for the case here. Now, first one: sex. The inclusion of females in stories is specifically discouraged. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> now, when they are included, they should be drawn realistically. Okay, I mean, that I'm on board with. Did this kind of remind you of a certain DC uh, edict not too long ago about no marriages allowed in the DC? Anyway, <laughs> maybe that's too much editorializing, but... Maybe. <laughs> now, uh, language. No taking the Lord's name in vain. Heroes are not allowed to use slang. Now, slang can only be used by the crooks and the villains. Interesting. Yeah, bloodshed, never show bleeding, and no dead bodies. I mean, th this is very, this is definitely pre uh, Dio, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, now I think that never has been replaced with always, and instead of no dead bodies, make sure somebody loses a limb in every yeah. issue. <laughs> it's there will be death. <laughs> and, uh, see here, torture, uh, item number four, torture, no chains, no whips, no motor cars, um, <laughs> and uh, no sexual sadism. Uh, step five here, uh, kidnapping. No, absolutely no kidnapping of children and very limited kidnapping of women as long as the story turns out the way it needs to turn out. Right. And uh, no implied sex um, during the kidnapping. Uh, number six here, killing. Heroes never kill. Uh, the villain can only die by their own machinations, so that the hero can never be proactive in, in that. Uh, only police officers, only the duly deputized, are allowed to kill. Mm -hmm. And uh, of special note here, women are not allowed to use lethal weapons. Wow. <laughs> yes. Because they uh, don't know what they do with them, the crazy that's broads. That's it. They're going to they're gonna shoot their eye out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, last, crime. Now, justice must triumph in every single case. Crime should be depicted as sordid and unpleasant. So you cannot make crime look... 
like something that's alluring or uh, something that you should be encouraged to sure. do. Very glamorous. Well, like I said, in Crime Does Not Pay, sometimes they'd show these criminals living as multimillionaires for like a decade or more. You know what I mean? It was like, this, this, uh, this looks great. You know, why wouldn't yes. I do this? I want chains and a cigar. <laughs> why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> now, uh, and then they revealed, uh, without going into really any detail, that there is a relationship between DC owners and the owners of a bad comic book publisher. And uh, we don't know if that means that gore or porn or or if this is a uh, reference to uh, the, uh, the the mafioso fellows we talked about earlier. Yeah, you know, I mean, given what we know now about Donenfeld and the uh, beginnings of national publications, national yeah. periodicals, uh, I think it's quite possible that it was porn. And we, and we know for sure that uh, porn comics <clears throat> were being made. Schuster w- withdrew Knights of Terror, right? Not, yep. not, not far ago from here, so... Uh, no. Very, very same same time span, yeah. Right in the same, like almost the same, I think it was 53 if I remember, maybe I'm wrong though, but it could have been this very year. Um, could have been. So, you know, it, it's it's whatever it was though, is there was still something happening on the third shift, I have a feeling, at that printing <laughs> press. You know, it wasn't all Superman, Wonder Woman, and uh, the Western comics. All right, now that was a clip from the Kefauver hearings, and... Uh, you could find that, as well as the other four parts of our uh, Comics Code Authority series at, in the archives at chrisandreggie.com. I believe we compiled them into a box set, so there you go to one page, get all five episodes right there. I think uh, this is an important, uh, an important series of episodes to check out, because uh, it really sheds so much more light on uh, what actually went down uh, back in 1954. I think if you're to ask uh, folks how this all started, you're going to get a lot of fist-waving and, uh, you know, oh, that Wortham, that Frederick Wortham, and you come to find that it wasn't exactly all Wortham. Uh, <laughs> and that uh, Wortham, you know, warts and all, very little of his life was committed to, quote-unquote, ruining comic books. Uh, if you listen to that series, uh, I think the first two episodes are very heavily Wortham-based, Including giving him his due for a lot of his uh, a lot of the work he's done in uh, the community, he is in part responsible for desegregation of schools in New Jersey. He uh, built the Lafarge Clinic in uh, Harlem. Uh, outside of the the comics stuff here, uh, seemed like a pretty with it guy, and I don't think he gets a whole lot of credit for that. Uh, I think in our comics bubble, we. Uh, we're really just keen to wave our fists in the air and point out the boogeyman. Uh, not even considering that later in his life he actually came around to comics and uh, actually appeared at uh, one of Phil Suling's early conventions where uh, comic fans, being what they are, they heckled him relentlessly and he uh, never went back. So just consider that a missed opportunity. Um, but, you know, the uh, Kefauver trials here, before... We dug deep on this uh, subject. I, I didn't know what a key father was. <laughs> and uh, I uh, learned a whole lot uh, digging through this. Uh, we went through the entire comics code line by line. Uh, we transcribed a lot of the hearings. And uh, like I said, that's all in the archives. And you can check that out if you're interested. And now for the reason that we've assembled here today. We're here to celebrate Vartox Week. Uh, Now, Reggie and I did do a long-form Cosmic Treadmill episode covering, to this point, all of Vartox's appearances. Uh, We go through all of his iterations, pre-crisis, post-crisis, pre-flashpoint, post-flashpoint. And uh, I I think we did an admirable job uh, (laughs) depicting him as best as possible. And, you know, I joke around about Vartox Week treating it like a real holiday and... I'll I'll share my you know quote unquote Vartox Week miracles you know I found I found the you know a copy of Zardos the the film the Sean Connery film uh, I found a Vartox Hero Clicks uh, little miniature and you know I share silly stuff like that online to uh, <laughs> to further foment uh, Vartoxism I guess um, but I I can say without any hyperbole that uh, Vartox does in fact save he. Uh, yeah, I guess I should qualify that. He he actually saved Chris's on Infinite Earths, the blog. Um, now, I'm hoping that this this bit here doesn't come across as uh, bitter or uh, resentful, because it's not what I'm intending it to be. 
But if you're a person who creates content uh, on some sort of uh, with some sort of prolificity, uh, whether that be daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, whatever whatever your schedule your set schedule is, if you are someone who creates content regularly, you're probably gonna run headfirst into something we in the uh, business call burnout. Um, now, Chris is on Infinite Earths is a daily blog, and it's been a daily blog for over three and a half years, which is to say, uh, for the for three years, I did a single comic book every single day. So that's a lot of comics. And then since the third anniversary, I've done a chapter of Action Comics Weekly every single day. So there's always something new on the site. And it, while it might not seem like a whole heck of a lot to write about a comic every day, uh... You know, this, uh, the gig can take, before I went to Action Comics Weekly, the gig could take anywhere from an hour and a half to five hours a day, which, you know, I, I, I'd lose sleep, <laughs> you know, I'd, uh, I'd put other things off just to attend to this blog. And, you know, when burnout hits, uh, I think, uh, the more rigid you are in the, uh, and how disciplined you are in producing and releasing content the harder burnout is going to just, like, smack you in the face. Now, I've talked before about uh, things like fatigue, you know, um, fatigue on, you know, events in comics, or fatigue on a certain voice. Um, I've said that I don't so much have a problem with, uh, say, Brian Bendis' writing, it's just that I'm tired of it, you know? It's like you hear that same voice over and over again. Um, around the time of the New 52, I grew very tired of Jeff Johns's voice, and uh, Johns is top five writer for me, you know. So to be tired of his voice, it was weird. So, but I did get fatigued. And the question is, you know, what happens when the voice you're fatigued of is your own? I mean, I'm writing every single day. Uh, you know, there's there's over a million words on ChrisIsOnInfiniteEarth.com that I've written, and. Uh, you really can get sick of the sound of your own voice uh, if you uh, produce as much as that or even a part of that. It, uh, you know, we all have our tolerances, I suppose. But, uh, you know, what do you do when, you, uh, when you've set on this you know, self-appointed mission to create content and you're just so tired of the sound of your own voice? Well, the answer sometimes is to start a project. And uh, over at Chris's on Infinite Earths, I've started several, you know, writing, reading and writing projects. And, uh, and they're not always met with a great reception. Uh, in fact, sometimes it's the exact opposite. Um, case in point, uh, if we look at, you know, the aforementioned Christmas stuff, I usually go into that very, very excited just for the change of pace from, uh, from a random book. You know, I can actually be on a theme, you know, and, uh, you know, you get the impression that people really don't want to read about Christmas stuff, even around Christmas, <laughs> people don't want to read Christmas stuff, uh, those are some of my, uh, least successful, uh, posts, uh, to date are the, uh, Christmas ones, uh, another theme that I did, uh, was, uh, Brightest May, uh, all of May of 2018, I covered a Brightest Day book from 2011, 2010, 2011, and, boy, that just died on the vine. People were not interested in uh, Brightest Day. I don't know if it's just not old enough yet, if it's not retro enough yet, or maybe just, a, you know, word of mouth on just how awful or how it fell apart at the end, or maybe people just don't care to hear my voice talk about Brightest Day. But what it did is that it gave me direction, because I found that the only way to navigate uh, through fatigue and burnout is to have some sort of a direction. You need to know what you're... If you're going to write every day, you need to know what you're going to be writing. Um, otherwise, you're just stood... You're just there standing in front of a whole bunch of long boxes, not having any clue where to go, while you're questioning whether or not it's even worth it to dig, because you're just tired, you know? It's, uh... You've given yourself a job, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm embittered or regretful about, uh, you know, whatever I've done on the blog. But, you know, burnout did has hit me uh, several times before. And uh, 
it hit me particularly hard right before uh, we got into Vartox uh, back in the summer of uh, 2018. You see, something very weird happened um, in the second half of 2018. Uh, for some reason, um, people weren't seeing any of my uh, any of my tweets. Uh, I don't know what it was. If maybe just everybody had me on ignore. <laughs> But, uh, no, that's not true. People actually reached out and asked why I wasn't sharing my work, uh, to which I would say I did. You know, it's it's right there. Um, and I guess maybe an algorithm changed or maybe I got put on a no-no list. I don't know what it was. But uh, for the second half of 2018, people just weren't seeing any of my announcements. I, I went from, you know, getting decent amount of, uh, you know, the, the clicks, the likes, the whatevers, to nothing, you know, just uh, maybe one or two likes, and I took that as to mean, you know, eh, you know, people are just done with me, um, because you know, something that uh, yeah, I, I kind of te- teetered on going into is uh, is engagement. Uh, what I do is, you know, I synopsize a comic book. This isn't important stuff. This isn't really noteworthy stuff. I synopsize a comic, and then I give some thoughts on my comic. And they're usually very repetitive thoughts because, I mean, it's still my voice, and uh, (laughs) I am what I am. But uh, engagement, it's not something that is really necessitated or facilitated by what I do. You know, you could read what I wrote and be like, oh, yeah, I I agree or I disagree. There's just not a whole lot to expand on. You know, I, I don't know that it's the material or if it's my writing style that just doesn't invite or, you know, again, facilitate uh, feedback. And, um, or just, you know, the fact that this is such a niche thing uh, to discuss classic, you know, DC comics, several of which people haven't even heard of, you know. I don't know that that really invites uh, feedback. So when you don't get the feedback, you're not, and then you're suddenly not getting any kind of uh, traction on social media where you were accustomed to at least getting that, you start to question, you start to do like a, a value estimation, and, uh, and then you start weighing it against the time you, ins- you spend, uh, the effort you uh, spend, and you question whether or not it's, it's worth it. And as unartisty as it sounds, and, and I'm sure if you were to ask a lot of content creators, they say that they're doing it for them. And if you would ask me, I'd tell you the same thing. I, I write for me. I do this because it, it'd be too hard not to do it. But if you ask any of us, uh, you know, if there's a, any better feeling as a content creator than having someone reach out and say, hey, I really enjoyed what you wrote. Uh, I, I don't think you'd get many people to agree. You know, that's, that's a, you know, I don't want to say that's why we do it, but that's definitely a highlight and a perk of doing it is is just having it out there. And if someone discovers it and uh, really, really enjoys it or gets something out of it or is inspired to go read a comic that they wouldn't otherwise have read or better yet, even, you know, start writing about comics that they enjoy uh, because they enjoyed what you wrote so much. I mean, that just means the world to me. But back to the uh, second half of 2018... I wasn't getting any of that. I wasn't getting... It was as though, you know, we a lot of content creators will say that you're either writing or talking into a void, and uh, it very much felt like that. It felt like nobody was seeing what I was writing. And, uh, you know, even numbers on the site dropped. I don't know if that was just a Google working out a bug, because sometimes that'll happen, where you get a bunch of bots, you know, checking out the site, and then all of a sudden those bots are no longer. Uh, so you, you do get some fluctuations in, in that regard. But, uh, you know, then with this burnout compounded with the fact that it felt like nobody was seeing anything I was writing, you know, I really got into my own head and I started questioning the value of the time I was spending. And uh, that's never good when you're uh, when you're creating something and you're 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 placing, you know, you're you're qualifying that the fact that you're spending so much time and exerting so much effort on it. Uh, you almost grow to uh, resent it, and uh, that's not something I wanted to do because I've seen a lot of a lot of internet content where you could tell that the person's heart just isn't in it anymore, and that it would be best for everyone uh, themselves, especially if they maybe took a step back or took a break, 
And I never wanted to get to that point. And, uh, I mean, readers of the site might know better than I do that whether or not I have crossed that line a time or two, because I'm, I mean, there's... You know, there's almost 1,300 posts on there. I'm sure. I'm sure a few of them sound like my heart ain't entirely in it, <laughs> and uh, it's just you know, it's just the way it's going to be. It's a law of averages. But you know, I'm standing there questioning whether or not it's worth it to do a review every day. Back you know, back pre Vartox, and uh, it started to affect the books that I would choose to discuss because I never wanted to do. I never wanted to just be someone who relied on popular books to review. I mean, everybody can review, uh, you know, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow or, or the entirety of Watchmen, and, and you know, people will react to that because those are, you know, those are f- popular books. Those are very erudite books. Um, I, I I didn't purposely pick two books written by Alan Moore, but uh, <laughs> there we are. Um, I didn't want to go that route. And unfortunately, as the burnout grew and the doubt grew that anybody was even paying attention anymore, the more I sort of gravitated toward the, you know, the the quote-unquote cheap pop books, you know. Uh, Cheap pop, if you're not aware, is uh, like if you're a pro athlete, a pro wrestler or something, and you go into the ring and you talk about how much you love the local sports teams because that gets the crowd to react because they live there and they're happy that you like their same sports team. So they're going to clap for you. They're going to cheer for you. So they're cheering at you, but they're not really cheering for you. So you're getting a cheap pop. And I didn't want to become that. I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to read just the popular stuff to get folks to be like, oh, I, you know, I recognize that cover. I love that book. Here, I'll give you a like, you know, because it doesn't really say anything for my contribute contributions. Not that I contribute a whole lot anyway, but uh, it really made me question and second guess myself. Um, and and I, it got to the point where you know I was in my own head so much that I sort of knew which books people didn't care about. Like if I tried to do anything in the Wildstorm universe. People did not care. Uh, if I did a flash book, for some reason, if I did a flash book, my numbers would drop, uh, and engagement would drop. So I started to like move away from doing flash books. Even if I wanted to talk about a flash book, I I second guessed because I didn't think anyone would would care. And I'm telling you, this is just like that's like the wrong kind of headspace to be in when you're when you're doing the, whatever it is that I do. Um, I compare it to. Uh, I worked a lot with uh, over-the-road truck drivers, and uh, these are guys. Uh, God bless them. They are, are they're alone a lot. You know, they're on the road driving, and so the only voice they've got is their own. And the more you talk to yourself, I think the more <laughs> the more distrusting you get of other voices, and uh, the more you listen to yourself, the more wrapped up in yourself you get, and. Uh, I felt like I was getting that way, at least in this aspect of my life, where you know I wasn't talking to anybody about the work I was putting out, and it was just my voice over and over and over again, and it just got to the point where I was, I thought I was just done, you know, I, I didn't want to do it anymore, and I needed, I needed something to set me back on course, and that something turned out to be Vartox. Now, despite Reggie and I have, you know, already having covered Vartox uh, on the Cosmic Treadmill, and I've covered uh, nearly every one of Vartox's appearances on the uh, blog, I still wanted to talk about him here, um, you know, because he did, <laughs> he did save the blog, he did put me on course, but he also represented a time where I totally misjudged a character, and that's a, that's a conversation I want to have on the other end of the episode. So we will uh, we'll do that after the synopsis, but also you know I, I think uh, I think folks don't know a whole heck of a lot about the character, and uh, hopefully after listening to this, and if you pop over to uh, the blog or the Cosmic Tre- Treadmill episode, you'll know a little bit more about him than you know the same couple of gifs from the Zardos movie that uh, I see all the time. <laughs> but uh, Let's pop over to the horns, and uh, then we will get into Superman number 281 from 1974. 
Superman number 281, November 1974, cover date. The story is called Mystery Mission to Metropolis. Written by Carrie Bates, pencils Kurt Swan, inks Bob Oxner, edited by Julia Schwartz at a cover price of 20 cents American. Now, we open with a prologue set on two worlds. On one world, a woman working the cash register at a Metropolis shop is shot dead. On the other, a very similar-looking woman just dies. Uh, The latter, it turns out, is the wife of the superhero Vartox. We can see his picture on her nightstand. And so Vartox arrives home sometime later, but it's too late to save her. He picks up her body and takes it to the uh, uh, science place so they can perform an autopsy scan, or an autopsy scan. It's very oddly spelled, but I think it's a scanning autopsy sort of a situation here. So they do this to get to the bottom of why she you know, just died. It turns out that she died because the murdered cashier in Metropolis is her, get this, bionic twin. Uh, they're biologically linked. Um, so Vartox wants revenge on the fellow who did this, and so he goes and tunes in on Metropolis. He learns that they, too, have a superhero, and he knows that what he feels he must do might become complicated should he ever run in with Superman. So he's not going to be able to get or exact this revenge on, you know, this creep because Superman might have a problem with it. Now, before we know it, Vartox arrives in the skies above Metropolis. Superman is there waiting for him because, uh, you see, Vartox sent an intergalactic gram before heading over. He, he called ahead to make sure Superman would be in. Uh, He, Vartox, that is, explains what he must do, but Superman ain't feeling it. That's no matter for our foreign fashion plate, he's gonna do exactly what he wants to do. And so we shift scenes to the Metropolis State Penitentiary, where Lois Lane is interviewing the alleged murderer Frank Sykes. As they chat, he reveals that his lawyer is this close to getting him off, which... If true, it's no wonder there are just so many vigilantes in the DC Universe. I mean, these lawyers are getting these murderers put back on the streets. Anyway, Vartok swipes him straight out of the pen. Well, not so fast, Eriki Masabi. Superman's caught up with him. Uh, For the next couple of pages, we get a brawl through the sky until Vartox hammers Superman with an energy blast to the chest, which ricochets off him and winds up hitting and killing Lois Lane, just like on the cover. Um, But despite how it looks on the cover, Vartox here actually seems very apologetic. On the cover, he seems almost happy that he killed her, but here he's uh, he's very upset. Uh, None of this really matters, though, because this uh, this is just a mental projection of what might happen. Vartox is still looking on the screen, so, uh, wonk wonk. We jump back to the real world, and Lois and Clark are headed somewhere. They discuss how Frank Sykes actually did get away with murder. And what's more, since their law prohibits double jeopardy, all Sykes cannot be tried for the same crime again, so he's just a free man. Oh yeah, also, uh, Vartox shows up here, but this time he doesn't send an intergalactic grammar or whatever it was, so he didn't call ahead. He's just hoping Superman will be there. Maybe he's hoping Superman won't be there. Elsewhere, Frank is being reamed out over the phone by his brother, Teddy. Teddy was responsible for hooking him up with this fabulous lawyer that got him off, but he informs him that this is the last favor he'll ever do for this deadbeat. Then, just two minutes later, Teddy calls back to inform Frank that he's uh, sending a, quote, very special friend to keep an eye on his little brother. Upon hanging up, Teddy has no idea why he made that call. But uh, we know why, because it's because uh, Vartox mentally possessed Teddy, and he made him make that call so that he might get a closer look at old Frank Sykes. Now, Frank's not all that keen working alongside side Vart there, uh, until the alien visitor convinces him that he, Frank that is, has some latent superpowers that Frank can control by the snap of his fingers. They teleport into Spiffany's, which is, uh, you know, a play on, uh, I'm sure, some jewelry store, and they steal a glowing jewel so big you could probably choke a horse with it. Elsewhere, Lois and Clark are taking a judo class. Lois, naturally, tosses Clark all over the place. 
Clark uses his time on the mat to make a to take a telescopic glance into Frank Sykes's apartment. And what he sees is, uh, well, he sees Frank and Vartox and that big old jewel. Clark excuses himself from the lesson, claiming, I don't know, like sour stomach or something. Then, as luck would have it, Superman shows up to confront the two no-goodniks. Vartox makes it look as though Sykes is, con- is using superpowers in order to keep the Man at Steel at bay. Uh, before snapping them both away, Superman shakes out the cobwebs and decides to... Well, not pursue these guys, but head into Spiffany's to check on them. There, he learns that the stolen jewel was never the property of Spiffany's. At the same time, Vartox reveals to Sykes that he is an alien from the faraway, and tells him that the glowing jewel is actually a rare artifact worth millions on his world. Sykes agrees to take the trek wherever it is Vartox wants to take him. Superman arrives just as they're leaving via a strange beam. He follows them into space and even saves them from certain doom of smashing into a fragment of a white dwarf star. Vartox is shocked that Superman has not actually stepped in to try and stop him. Finally, they arrive on Valoran, and this is where the other shoe drops. Vartox lets him know the straight dope on their trip. There, Sykes is under arrest for the murder of his unnamed wife. The sentence being 60 years. What's more, Vartox broke zero laws bringing him here. You see, that stolen jewel rock thing was his. Um, Also, there was technically no abduction because Sykes came of his own free will. I mean, they they did break into Spiffany's, but what are you going to do? Then, Superman arrives and everything gets straightened out. Vartox even lets him take Sykes home with him since, on Valoran they serve prison sentences a little bit differently. It's revealed that the murderer has been aged 60 years. Superman doesn't even bat an eye, which I guess makes sense because this aging deal is probably far less cruel than, you know, putting someone in the Phantom Zone for eternity. Then, as now, I find this to be a a pretty good issue. You know, the first time I I set eyes on Vartox, uh, you know, I kind of assumed that he was a a funny haha character, you know? I think I even, like, when I found this issue in uh, the, the discount bin there, I even called him, like, you know, the manliest man that ever manned, you know? I kind of just projected a personality on him just by how he looked, because, I mean, he looks like a sleazy dude. Um, unfortunately, he would kind of become that later on, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little while. Um, what really surprised me the first time through this was just how unjokey that this issue was. I was expecting uh, Vartox... I, I really was... I projected this... Uh, I projected this whole personality onto this guy, and I, I figured it was going to be... You know, like, I figured it'd be like a wise-ass and... And just, you know, weird. Instead of just a hero who uh, was trying to, you know, take revenge on a, a guy who, in a roundabout way, killed his wife. Um... He's, you know, methodical, he's smart, for, well, for the Bronze Age, uh, and he's got a very sad, a tragic origin story here with the loss of his wife. So, I mean, outside of his outfit and maybe his mustache, there's not a whole heck of a lot to laugh about. Um, so, I really thought, you know, you look at this cover, and you expect this to be a completely antagonistic relationship between Vartox and Superman, where... It does get antagonistic later on, but it's more that, you know, Vartox is just so out of his mind. Um, Because I'm telling you, he's a very, very tragic character, uh, where he and Superman are just at odds because of uh, Vartox's uh, irrational uh, behavior. But they're never really pitted against each other, at least not in the uh, pre-crisis Bronze Age. Uh, They are, more often than not, uh, allies. They don't always see eye to eye, but I mean, neither do Superman and Batman. You know, that doesn't make them, that doesn't make one of them a villain. <laughs> but I think Vartox is looked at uh, a lot as a villain. Um, you know, if he were on a trading card, he'd probably be getting a super villain trading card <laughs> instead of a superhero one. Um, you know, there's a few of the uh, the greatest hits here, um, just to point out just how tragic this character is. 
a little bit later on, his, you know, Valoran, his world gets destroyed. And uh, he learns ultimately that it was his fault that millions of Valerians or Valerons uh, died. You know, he brought back some sort of a combustible element that uh, destroyed the planet. Um, he's, he's later moves to a, uh, a planet called Tynola, where he's used to, uh, like, <laughs> they're trying to fatten him up to feed him to a, uh, to this, like, it looks like a gummy lifesaver alien. It's, it's a very strange story, but, you know, Vartox is, uh, I called him in the blog, I called him the Superman that failed, because, uh, He's just as powerful as Superman, he's just as driven as Superman, but he just can't seem to uh, stick the landing. Where uh, where Superman does so with grace, Vartox fails almost every time out the gate. And uh, that really just adds to the tragedy of the character. He uh, loses everything. And perhaps the, uh, the greatest sin is post-crisis he loses all of his depth. Um, he is uh, just a generic uh, warrior. In the post-crisis, he made uh, two or three appearances. I've covered all of them at the blog, but uh, he's just a guy on a planet that uh, Superman has a run-in with, um, <laughs> and then he goes off into the sunset. It was uh, at the very, very tail end of the Dan Jurgens run on Superman. I think it was actually Dan's last issue at Vartox uh, leave to uh, follow Brainiac, I think. But it was just, uh, I, it was just such a, a pale imitation of the Bronze Age Vartox, who had such depth, such trauma, um, and, and it's really a shame, because uh, he's, a, he's a very interesting character. I've, I've devoted dozens of hours to the guy at this point, and have uh, found that he was very well-written, a very well-fleshed-out character, uh, especially, or, you know, it could just be that my expectations were so low, because I really thought, you know, this is going to be a wizard Wizard Magazine, Mord of the Month sort of a guy who uh, does some goofy Bronze Age stuff. Uh, you know, I, I, maybe I compared him to the Terra Man or something. As we move into the end of the uh, post-crisis uh, DC Universe, or the end of the Infinite Crisis DC Universe, I, I don't know how we even say this one. We'll just call it the pre-Flashpoint DC Universe. Uh, Vartox did come back, and uh, he was in the Power Girl series by Jimmy Palmiotti, Justin Gray, and Amanda Connor with just amazing Amanda Connor art. But he there was depicted kind of the way I had projected him. You know, uh, I, he's because I mean he looks like a gigolo, so they treated him as a gigolo, and it, it was it was very funny and. Uh, I actually kind of liked it. I didn't like that they were so fast and loose with the continuity, but uh, I, I enjoyed the stories. I, I enjoyed this take on Vartox. I thought uh, it had just as much merit as the Bronze Age one because he was still depicted as a tragic character, and it was only via the help of Power Girl that he was finally able to win one. Uh, he was able to, and it's going to sound a lot funnier than it actually is, he was able to repopulate his planet, and uh, it doesn't go exactly as it sounds, but uh, it was just really, really well done, and it was a fitting end, because that was what I read at the very end of uh, Vartox Week, which on the blog took about a month. Uh, it was a month-long Vartox Week, so that was kind of part of the running gag that I think was only funny to me, but uh, it ended with him actually getting a win in that Power Girl series, which to me, felt like this just huge, you know, retribution for this guy who had just lost, lost, lost. And then finally at the end, he wins one. And it uh, was very poignant and a very fitting way to, uh, to say goodbye, you know, to, to pack him back in the box and, uh, and call it uh, a month, you know, or call it a week's, a month-long week or whatever it was that I did. But uh, that was a character. And this is a, this is a, question I want to pose to people here, uh, which might seem funny, where the first half I was talking about how what I do doesn't facilitate engagement, and here I am asking for engagement. Are there any characters, stories, creators that you had built up in your own head as being a certain way? You know, you've just, uh, you've projected this, I don't know if it's by look or by what you've heard, uh, you just have the, the exact wrong impression of a character. And uh, or a story or a creator, 
And after actually experiencing it and living, the, the, you know, through the character and through the stories, uh, just how realizing how wrong you were. I mean, if you're listening to this show, you've probably read a fair your fair share of fiction, <laughs> so uh, you uh, you know what expectations you might have about a certain story or certain character. Um, Vartox, like I mentioned, I thought he was going to be a goof. I thought he was going to be a funny haha, and uh, was actually taken aback. By how uh, deep and uh, tragic he was And I really wasn't expecting to like the character Or to root for the character I, I thought it was just going to di- dismiss him I didn't think Vartox Week was going to be a thing When I read that first uh, that first issue that we just covered here I thought it was just going to be Yeah, maybe we'll get back to Vartox one day And then uh, we just started moving through And had to keep moving through It was uh, It became... The driving force of the blog And it's what, like I mentioned earlier It's what put the blog back on track And uh, I will always appreciate Vartox And I will always celebrate Vartox Week Because of that um, But like I said any, any, uh, any of these similar situations you guys have been in I'd love to hear about it um, I actually had another one right around that time uh, One of the stories that I had dismissed Pretty much any time I hear it, I think I would like instinctively like shudder because it was just like, ugh, I don't want to read that or read about it. And that was the uh, the Titans crossover, Total Chaos. I thought that that was just, uh, ugh, <laughs> I didn't think that was going to be good at all. Um, and the thing of it was, is I don't think I'd ever read it in its entirety. I'd only read certain chapters of it and realized that eh, this isn't what I want to read, you know. It was like every 90s cliche rolled into one But uh, just like with Vartox I actually set it as a project on the blog And I thought it was actually very good It, it surprised me uh, like no other <laughs> I was uh, I, I thought it was very, very good um, The amount of world building that Marv Wolfman put into it uh, The art was, uh, for the most part, the art was great on, on all three titles uh, It was Deathstroke, T- uh, New Titans, and Team Titans um, I even covered, uh, you know, all the uh, variant Team Titans uh, upfront series. Uh, they 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 were character centric upfront uh, stories that were followed by part three of uh, Total Chaos. But I was taken aback by how much I enjoyed that. So yeah, these are the kind of stories that I, I would love to hear from you guys. I, I want to know, because uh, I mean. I'm wrong more than I'm right So I I love to uh, feel like I'm not alone in that, I guess <laughs> And, you know, and, and through uh, recommendations is how we discover things So if there are things that, that I've dismissed or you've dismissed That turns out might be exactly what the doctor ordered for us uh, I think learning that and experiencing that is, a, is definitely a good thing But uh, I think that's all I got to say about... Superman number 281 right now um, And uh, Vartox for the time being uh, Gonna send it over to the horns And then, uh, well actually I, I just lied to you, we're gonna do a little bit more Vartox in the hot take Alrighty, for the hot take We are dipping into the Metropolis mailbag This is Superman number 285 March 1975 Cover date, and these letters are concerning The first appearance of Vartox you know, try as I might, I couldn't find a whole heck of a lot in the Usenet archives on Vartox, uh, which I guess stands to reason. He was uh, he was not really uh, very prolific a character uh, <laughs> around the time that I was uh, searching. So we will have to do with this. Now, our first missive comes from a Ben from uh, McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey. He says, Dear Mr. Bridwell, Justice is a complicated, many-facet jewel at best with as many interpretations as there are people to have an opinion. As a subject in a comic magazine, however, it is normally presented as simple and direct, with no complications and only rarely an after-effect. It is to Carrie Bates' credit that he presented one of the best interpretations of the fine line between vengeance and justice I've read in Mystery Mission to Metropolis, Superman number 281. Vartox, the actual hero of the story, appears to be a marriage of the qualities of Superman and the Shadow, with more practical experience than the former and greater respect from those he serves than the latter. In a series of well-handled events, 
a death occurs and justice is meted out in a, in a style just a shade more sympathetic than the criminal would have received from the specter or the shadow. Yet, the loss of an innocent occurs when the two superheroes clash. It's a beautiful example of just how complicated and far-reaching such a quest can be. The plot, with its twists and inventions, could have easily become as tricky and shallow as camp Batman TV shows, but Bates never stresses Vartox's inventions as much as he does the man himself. For this reason, Vartox becomes one of the most fleshed-out new characters in the Superman saga, and one who deserves many more appearances. Well, Sergeant Ben, I have to agree with you. Uh, like I said, this was a uh, very uh, deep story, one that I was not expecting to get. Um, I, I, you know, I came into it with uh, with projected hindsight, unlike unlike Sergeant Ben here. So he didn't know what to expect. I had a very false <laughs> idea of what to expect. But both of us enjoyed the story, and both of us uh, enjoyed Vartox. Now our next letter comes from Buck in Oak, Oak Hill, West Virginia. He says, Dear Editor Bridwell, Mystery Mission to Metropolis is undoubtedly Carrie Bates' best science fiction Superman story, and here's why. Vartox. He was the hero of the story. Perhaps it was, it was best that the cover was deceived... Sorry about that. Perhaps it was best that the cover was a deceiving one. Had Vartox actually sparred with Superman, the outcome would be too predictable. Superman would outsmart Vartox, straighten him out, and they'd wind up shaking hands, which is what happens a little bit later anyway. Uh, but it didn't happen that way. Well, not this issue. Though Vartox's reasoning with his hyperpower was, uh, was unorthodox. If it truly predicted that he would kill Lois, I could see his logic, but Vartox thought, what would most likely happen? Still, it, wouldn't need, it would needn't be Lois he'd kill. It could have been an, an innocent bystander. Alas, the story was not perfect. On page four, the scientist told Vartox his bride had perished because the Earth girl, her bionic twin, died. Bionic, as any Steve, six million dollar man Austin enthusiast can tell you, means biology applied to electronic engineering systems. Unless Vartox's people are a race of robots, that does not compute. Eh, I like what you did there, uh, Clint, or Buck, whatever you're going by. Um, Yeah, bionic was a funny word to use there, and... uh, but funny in a way that I, I kind of love that they used it. You know, just thinking <laughs> thinking that we have bionic twins uh, in, in parallel universes and, and galaxies. I, I think that's, uh, that's just too funny. Uh, we have a reply here from E. Nelson Bridwell. He says, well, you're almost right. Actually, bionics is the study of living things in order to improve technology. A non-electronic use of this was the study of dolphins to improve the shape of ship hulls. But the word was wrong. We should have said biotic. So there's that. Our next letter comes to us from Bob in Oak Brook, Illinois. It says, Dear Editor, From a terrible movie to the greatest Superman yarn this year, all courtesy of Carrie Bates, with a solid, well-written tale. It's also amusing to note that, in a sense, Bates managed to include his hero, Sean Connery slash James Bond, in the goings-on. The plot was intriguing. Bates writes great sci-fi in anybody's book, and this was one of his best. Vartox is a terrific hero. Hopefully he's not slated for just this one shot. He's worth much more. I especially like his looks. Women have been sexy in comics before, but not men. Oh boy. Uh, Sure, he was modeled after Sean Connery and Zardos, but he was terrific looking. It was great to see a scantily clad, hairy-chested hero for once. And with a real masculine mustache, not the little accidents that usually occur on the upper lips of other heroes. Oh. Oh boy. Um, yeah, that is uh, quite a mustache uh, Vartox has. Um, yeah, uh, let's, uh, let's go to the next one. Our next and final letter has, uh, unfortunately has nothing to do with Vartox. But we will read it because it is written by Jim Steranko of Reading, Pennsylvania. He says, Dear Julie, had to congratulate you on Collector's Edition C31. The vintage Superman tales were well-selected and, co- and complement each other perfectly while representing the Man of Steel's best artists. The issue's real wealth, however, is Hugh Ward's classic painting on the cover. 
If I remember correctly, the original hung in, the, in Nationals' offices throughout the Golden Age of Comics, like Big Brother watching you. Still worth the buck. Uh, Bridwell, uh, he adds a little note here at the end and says, Steranko is the author of the History of Comics series, besides being a comic artist and writer. He also publishes Media Scene, a magazine devoted to action, fantasy, and high adventure, from Batman to James Bond. Packed with behind-the-scenes comic news, you can get it by sending 75 cents for a sample issue or $4 for a year's sub to uh, an address in uh, Pennsylvania. Tell them we sent you. After all, one good plug deserves another. And that is the hot take. Now, we'll wrap up with a little bit of feedback because, uh, yeah, why should Vartox have all the fun getting, uh, getting nice letters? Uh, we're going to start with one from uh, a good friend of the show, uh, Doc Strange. He says, Good episode, Chris. I feel the same way about buying. Nothing can replace the fun of diving into boxes at a store. I'll buy from a Facebook auction sometimes, but otherwise I buy from stores. Now, this is in reference to uh, the old collect mandments that I shared last week during the Lady Cop episode where... I, I, you know, I said that I only shop in person. I'll only, uh, I'll only hit bins. I won't uh, do, I don't buy things online. I never, I'm not a buy it now clicking type of guy. And uh, the doc is right on here. Uh, nothing can replace the fun of diving into bins. It's, uh, it, like I mentioned last week, you get that, that weird kind of giddiness, especially if you've got a particular issue you're looking for and you start seeing things from around the same time and you think... You're getting closer, you know, you feel like a detective, uh, you know, getting getting step-by-step, clue-by-clue closer to actually finding your bounty. So, yeah, definitely thank you for the, uh, for the, uh, for the feedback there, Doc. Uh, we have one from uh, Chris, uh, who's from uh, Bat, Books from Be- uh, Bat Books for Beginners and the Professor Frenzy Show. He says, another great episode. I like the comments regarding Walmart books and the thrill of the hunt. When I was looking for back issues of First Issue Special, I'd sometimes see comic shops file back issues by the character name on book and not under, quote, First Issue Special, which made it tough. And that's one thing, when I read this, I couldn't believe that I forgot to mention this. When you, If you are to look for First Issue Special, let's say you're looking for Lady Cop, just like I was, you wouldn't just have to check one spot in the bins, you'd have to check upwards of three because sometimes they'd be filed with the numbered books because it is a num- numeral one ST issue special. So sometimes it would be up there with like with things like a hundred bullets, you know, uh, in like the in I guess we call it a hashtag now the little pound sign uh, that little section of the back issues. Other times it would be filed under F for first issue special, and other times and where I actually found Lady Cop it was filed under the L's. So it wasn't under the title of the book in either variation. It was actually just under the character name. And uh, it, you can take it even further, because uh, first issue special number 13 is the return of the new gods. So you could add the power, the, you know, the numbers. You could add F. You could add N for new gods or R for return of the new gods. So it's it's a crapshoot, you know. Um, and especially since it is such a niche and... Uh, uh, underappreciated and just unknown series that uh, I don't think many uh, many retailers really know where what to do with it. And I do wager that a lot of shops have a spattering of first issue specials in three or four, five, six, seven, eight areas of their back issue bins as we speak. Uh, and the uh, Walmart books, I did mention that uh, uh, last week. I that uh, it bothers me when I see people hoarding. The uh, hundred-page giants from Walmart's and exploiting their uh, uh, their perceived rarity or just the inability to to locate them in certain markets, and I see that as just being a very uncool thing to do. Uh, Chris especially knows because uh, we have a we have a buddy in common who I'm going to read a, a message from in a bit here. Uh, Dave, who uh, he collects the Swamp Thing hundred-page giant, and for a couple months it wasn't showing up in his neck of the woods. So Chris, out of the kindness of his heart, picked up the issues for him and sent them to him. You know, it wasn't looking to exploit the rarity. He was just doing it to be a pal. And, uh, you know, that's really what this hobby uh, should be all about. So uh, thank you, Chris, for that message. That was very nice. We have uh, one from Green Lantern HG. 
He says, man, your stories just keep getting better. That same thing happened to me, but with Spawn number one. Luckily, I knew the shop owner, and he didn't give it to me at the cover price. Oh, I'm sorry, he didn't give it to me at cover price, but not also not at the $7 he was asking. Great episode, Chris. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> what we started with. We were talking about um, the, the just what a number one is and what a number one was and how... Back in the early 90s when the speculators were all going to put their kids through college and put down payments on cars and homes and yachts when they bought these number one issues. Uh, the the perceived value of books that were printed in like the hundreds of thousands and millions of copies were getting upcharged right out the gate. Um, I, I told that Youngblood story again where the day of release, uh, a local shop had it on the wall for $5 instead of the two fifty pri- cover price. So yeah, it's very, it was a very iffy time, but the market, we all believed the market was healthy enough to where we, we really didn't ask too many questions. You know, I didn't not buy Youngblood because I was outraged at the cover price. I didn't buy Youngblood because I thought $5 was too much to spend, to it, spend on a brand new book. I, it wasn't out of outrage. It was just the fact that I couldn't come up with, I couldn't justify it. You know, if I had... If I had the money in my pocket, I probably would have bought it, <laughs> which is, which might say more about me or just about the times I came up in. So uh, thank you for that, uh, that message there, Green Lantern. Uh, and the final one we have here is from uh, Dave from uh, The Selling Out Show. I was on his program a couple weeks ago, and he says, uh, he retweeted the program and said, excellent episode, that's a must listen for all the collectors out there. Now, uh, Dave and I were, were kind of cut out of the same cloth when it comes to... Uh, to collecting uh, the comics, so uh, I'm very happy to hear that he enjoyed the episode. I, I I generally say that I question every episode I release because I think basically everything I do isn't very good. Uh, last week, especially because I thought it might have veered into the incendiary, <laughs> and I, I was actually very worried that uh, that I'd get a little bit of clapback for uh, some of the things I said there. Uh, no, nobody likes having what they do. Uh, put down, and, uh, you know, myself especially. So I didn't want to really make people mad or or even stand on any kind of, you know, mound to uh, pontificate. It was just a matter of just sharing my own, you know, rules of thumb, and, and I'm glad uh, I'm glad the folks appreciated it and enjoyed it. Um, now, if you would like to write, uh, you can do so at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Uh, you can also uh, find us on Twitter. We're at Cosmic T Mill. Reggie is at Reggie Reggie. I am at Ace Comics. Uh, you could check out the show blog at uh, ChrisandReggie.com. Uh, all the places you can find the show. Uh, if you're interested in checking out the site that this show is named after, you could do so at ChrisIsOnInfiniteEarth.com. There you'll be able to find a an entire page dedicated to Vartox Week. It's uh, about 99% of Vartox's appearances ever, all covered in chronological order. So if you want to check out Vartox's story, or maybe read through while you listen to that Cosmic Treadmill episode, which I will link to to in the show notes, uh, definitely feel free to do that. If while you're uh, on the site, you see a book you'd like to hear me discuss, let me know and I'll throw it on the list. Also, if while you're there, you see a book you'd like to come on and discuss, let me know and we'll see what we can figure out. I want to thank you so, so much for hanging out and celebrating this holiest of weeks of the year, Vartox Week, with me. Uh, I had a real good time visiting. Uh, So long for now. See you.